Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Don't let the past steal your present. Taylor Caldwell. I think it's a really great opportunity just to kind of hear stories about different places that people have been. And, you know, as a result, you hear people say all the time like you know seven months ago i was in my apartment and i never even heard of any of this before and like you said like they saw it in a publication somewhere or they picked up a magazine at the grocery store or they just did some you know thoughtless thing you know that all of a sudden put this bug in their ear and it's like it it does it just sits there and then you know by the time they get out there, they spend a couple weeks planning, and then three or four months later, they're coming through New Hampshire and they're, you know, talking to some dude out on the sidewalk. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the Trail Dirt Bags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right. This week, I am talking to a peak bagger out of the American Northeast who's got some stories to share. Welcome to the John Freaking Pod, Phil Perry. How's it going, Phil? It's going. Um, yeah. Actually, I just got back in town. I was just in New England for the last, uh, let's see, I went up on Monday. So I was up there for three, three full days. Um, and I hit a couple peaks while I was up there. Actually, Washington, I hit Washington in January. That was pretty gnarly. So I literally just walked in the door like an hour ago. It was Fantastic. awful driving back. Fantastic. And where where are you located right now? Where are you calling in from? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, right outside of Harrisburg, actually. Okay. All right. Now I know the the American Long Trail, the American Through Hiker, has a tradition of handing out trail names on the trail, and we typically go by trail names here on the podcast. But does that go for peak bagging as well? Have you picked up a a nickname, a trail name? Out I don't there? think so. You know, it's not something that has ever come up. Now that's not to say, uh, you know, that it's not a thing, but it has not been for me. So. No, short answer. I don't have one. Okay. Then then today you are Phil. You are Phil. <laughs> I am Phil in, okay. in all realms. Very good. Hey, Phil, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? I have. Okay. So you, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into here. Right. Yeah. So you know that towards the end of the episode, we've got a segment called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some uh, some wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. Get, you got something in mind already? A pro tip? You know yeah, what? Don't, Actually, don't, don't, I mean, don't give it away. Don't give it okay. away. I just, I just want to know if, you, if you're ready for it. You already have, you already have I it. I am. I'm out? ready. We're, we'll do it. We'll wrap it up at the end. I, I got a couple pro tips. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right. The Must Bring Gear Review. Hey, Phil, another feature we've been doing is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day adventure, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, Phil, what, what is your must-bring piece of gear when you're out there peak bagging? Ooh, you know what? So, when you're doing the peaks, I, I would say that it's, it's less about I mean, you do find yourself sort of in overnight situations. Like I, I definitely go on multiple day. You know, I would say that that two nights really would probably be the extent of uh, of like a point to point traverse. I personally try to do them in about a day. Um, but if I had to have somebody put something in my bag, it, it would be complete knockoff. One piece of tarpaulin. If you got to spend the night out and sleep on the ground i'll sleep on the ground like a cowboy but i'm not about carrying tents in those types of situations but if you have one nice piece of water repellent fabric bring a tarpaulin i, I would 100 say a bright blue piece of tarp okay now you you know being a peak bagger you spend a lot of time above you know at elevation correct yeah and with the overnights there you don't feel the need to be in a tent or a, a sleeping bag or no. Well, I mean, in my experience, for the most part, really specifically in in New England, um, they don't really encourage you to spend much time above tree line. Uh, in fact, depending where you are, I know that in New Hampshire, I don't think that you're even actually allowed. People do it, um, but it's not really a situation that you should ever actually be in. 
Um, there's plenty, especially in New Hampshire, uh, the Appalachian Mountain Club, who's wonderful, they provide campsites pretty much, I would say, every couple miles. You should never really be in an overnight scenario, which you should always actually be prepared for, where you would actually have to sleep above tree line. So, I, I mean, that type of exposure is just kind of unnecessary. So, no. Okay, got it. Hey, let's continue talking about gear. It's the hiking pole. With the hiking pole. This is a seven-question survey. Uh, it's pole spelled P-O-L-L, like survey, not like the kind you hold in your hands out there when you're hiking. Yeah, right. Uh, so this is, this is a seven-question survey. It's going to help give me help me give you a score on the sanity scale between one and 100. Uh, if you if you get a score of one, you're completely insane. If you get a, a score of 100, you're completely sane. So far on the podcast, okay. no one has gotten a completely sane score of 100. You think you're? No, I don't close? think anybody should. That's right. <laughs> so you're not you're not going to get 100. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think so. No. If if I if I were to ask your daughter, you know what uh, what, what where does where does dad fall on the scale from one to 100? What, what would she say? I'm hoping she'd give me like a, a like a 30 or 35. Okay, shooting low. Yeah. <laughs> and if I were if I were to ask your ex-wife, what what score would she give you? Ah, we we wouldn't ask her anyway. Okay, all right. We'll just leave her out. You know, right. we're just gonna leave her out of that. So seven questions, and these these are related to hiking. Have you done much hiking, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. So these these should fit right in then. So first question, easy question. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Oh, trekking poles for sure. And, and you know what? I'm going to qualify that because I used to be a no trekking pole guy. And it, it, it and I'll tell you why I carry them. Honestly, it's the descent. I, I don't see any other reason to use trekking poles other than two reasons. Number one, they keep my hands elevated. My hands get swollen. Um, I can feel my rings get real tight when I've had them down around like my waist after a few hours. And two, when you're on your descent, especially when you're in that granite, those granite staircases up north and you're coming down from four and a half, five thousand feet, it is awful on your knees. I just think they take so much pressure off of your lower body. Yeah, I'm, I'm a trekking pole guy all the way for sure. Okay. Or, yeah. or one. You can always carry one. True. True. Now with, with the, uh, you talked about your fingers, we call those sausage fingers when you, Oh yeah, for sure. Like sometimes you get down to the trailhead and it literally feels like you need to like cut your rings off your face. I don't know how many people wear rings while they're hiking. Maybe I'm the only one that does that, but I feel like I need to saw them off. Yeah. How many rings do you have? Just two. One on each hand. No. One on, on each pinky. On the pinkies. All right. That's how we know you're a wild man. That, right, that that's right how there, you know I'm a, cool. That's a point deduction. So, I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> you're getting closer to that uh, score in the 30s. That's nice. Okay. Right. Question number two. What's on the feet? Boots or trail runners? Oh, that, you know, that's kind of loaded. That's a loaded question, too, because it really kind of depends on the trail conditions. I really like my feet to be dry. I think that boots are major false support like i mean one of their big selling points is that you have just kind of that like support around your ankles but i really just don't think it really makes that much of a difference and they're kind of like clod hoppers to be walking around 
But, you know, just for instance, uh, this weekend, I would not have worn trail hunters or trail runners up into the alpine zone. So, you know, winter hiking, definitely boots. But I wear those same boots to shovel snow. So, I mean, there's not really anything particularly special about those. But uh, trail runners, I have on the majority of the time, for sure. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite brand of trail runners? Well, you know, I used to wear ultras um, and I still kind of do. But they do this really weird thing where the sole actually moves underneath your foot. I think what happened is, is they got real in love with these wide toe boxes, which is like their big selling point. And like every time they release like a new version of the Lone Peak, which are the ones that I wear, it becomes more like a clown shoe. And I, it might just be me because my feet are short and wide and they just they fit well if I'm running or if it's not a real technical situation, but they just don't work if you're really going uphill. So I wear hokas, which I always used to make fun of because I would see girls wearing them and it looks like they have rocking chair legs on their feet because they just have this weird shape. Like you remember those sketchers back in the day that they had that were supposed to tone like your lower legs and like your, you know, like your ass and you wear them around all day. That's, That's right. what they you look just... like. You didn't have to exercise. Just wear those right. shoes. And you just man, walk around in these things. Yeah, they're like magic. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you, I put a pair of, the, of Hoka's on it, and I don't think I'll ever go back. They're amazing. And they fit right, which I think is the big thing. Uh, you know, people like to talk about brands and that kind of thing. And, you know, I think that branding, I guess, is kind of important. But everybody's foot is different. So I think that that plays a lot into it, really. But, yeah, Hoka's all day for sure. If I could wear a Trail Runners in – like negative degree uh wind chill <laughs> i would I, I would definitely do it i wouldn't advise it but i would if i could now phil you need to look on the the side of the of the ultra boxes for the the short and wide stamp yeah no i understand but i've been dealing with that for my entire life like it's just i have hobbit feet like literally <laughs> they, they just don't make a shoe for that you know, Hobbit feet, clown shoes. We we may come up with a trail name for you tonight, but I, I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're on the lookout, so be careful. Yeah, right. All right. Hey, question number three. When you do have to do an overnight out there, I think I already know the answer to this, but we're going to ask it anyway. When you do have to do an overnight out there, are you, do you prefer a tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? I just sleep right on the ground like a cowboy. Now, you know, I do check the summit forecasts, um, depending where I'm hiking. Uh, but, you know, if it's supposed to be nice out, I carry a sleeping bag and that's about it. Okay, which goes I, to I the next don't... question. Sleeping bag or quilt? Sleeping bag. Sleeping bag. What kind do you have? I have a marmot, four-season sleeping bag. Okay, is it uh, down or synthetic, do you prefer? It's synthetic. It's synthetic. I think that... um. You know what? I don't think I've ever had a down sleeping bag now that I think about it. So I can't really speak to that preference one way or the other. I, I think that honestly, when I bought that one, I wanted a four season sleeping bag that I could kind of just throw one in like my Tupperware bin that I throw in the back of my car. And like the price point was good and the specs were good. And that was just the one that I bought. And I've, I've had it a while. So, I mean, that speaks to the brand, I guess, because I use it a lot. Yeah. Is that one of those Tupperware bins that goes in your fridge? Yeah, yeah, no, it's one of those Tupperware bins that like you buy when you're moving. It's the Walmart bin. Got it. It could also hold a lot of mashed potatoes if you had to. Yeah, it could. The gear, but the gear bin, I call it. I have two the of them, bin. so I can just like I'm ready to boogie anytime. 
Got it. I want to go back to the boots or trail runners question again because I had a I had a thought which I lost promptly as we took that 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 your answer took so many left and right turns uh, along the way. But I have uh, trouble staying on track. Yeah, that's good. That this, I, this is that's the best interview. So um, you had mentioned that you know they're supposed to support your boot, boots are supposed to support your ankle, but you're not sure if that is actually true or not. And I think they've done some studies. I've heard they they have done some studies to compare injuries, ankle injuries. Uh, right. Those people who wear boots, those people that wear, wear trail runners, and there is no appreciable difference in the number of injuries. Oh, is that true? Yeah, it's true. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, that 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 makes sense. I, I just don't think that, you know, I, I would encourage somebody, anybody to try on shoes. If they like boots, wear them. But I just feel like they're, they're clod hoppers. It's like walking around with cinder blocks. And I just think that things have progressed so much in, you know, just shoe technology that there's just no reason to be wearing these things around and let you know like i said if it's cold i guess or if it's wet or it's icy you know you don't want wet feet when it's cold outside so like a gore-tex shoe or something but you know trail runners dry out really fast too really now that i think about it i mean you can kind of just walk right through just about anything and if you have the right socks on I just don't really see that there's any kind of difference between the two and i think that a trail runner is just easier to wear it's more like yeah. a sneaker. You wear it around at home. I just feel like as far as feet go, it's one of the most important parts of your body, obviously, when you're out hiking. So I, I would want to be as comfortable as possible. Got to keep the feet happy. There's also a saying in the backpacking world that for every every pound on your foot is like f- carrying an extra five on your back. So you're talking about oh, wearing, I'm sure of that. wearing clod because hoppers. You- I mean, that's an extra burden. Right. And I feel like a lot of the the injuries are caused just because you're moving your feet in such an unnatural way because you have boots on, you know, just the contact you make with your feet on the ground in in other parts than the bottom of your foot. You know, it's like you're always just like catching the end of the boot or whatever. And it's just because it's so big and cumbersome. I just don't think they're beneficial in any kind of way. Like it's not 1970 anymore. Like, I just don't think there's any reason that you need to be going around in a pair of caterpillars, like, you know, stomping around in the woods. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And with you being in Pennsylvania, also known as a uh, rock Sylvania, I believe. For sure. You do. And I live kick, on that side. Too. Do you kick yeah, a lot of rocks out there? Yeah, there is. And I'm and it, really, I, I know a lot of the through hikers. So where I live in Pennsylvania, um, you know, I split my time between New Hampshire and, and here now, but here where I grew up, it's actually, I don't know, about 30 minutes from the actual, eh, 45 minutes from the actual halfway point on the Appalachian Trail, which is down in Pine Grove Furnace. Um, and you know, I'm anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes away from the, the AT, just about anywhere. I mean, Duncannon is, I don't know, maybe 12 miles away where they actually cross the Susquehanna River. Um, and once you're on this side of the river is really kind of where it becomes <laughs> what they call Rocksylvania. And it is brutal on on shoes, for sure. No doubt about it. I think it's just the consistency of the rock is different. It's more of like a, um, I don't know what they call it. It's, it, it's organic in a way, I guess. It's like razors, really. It's like schist and shale, you know, and you can just really shred up the bottom of any kind of you know, I think it transcends brand or make <laughs> you just you're walking literally through glass is almost what it's like. Yep. It's called Pennsylvania. There you go. Yeah. Our our, our ridge lines are rough. Yeah. All right. Hey, when it comes to food out there on the trail, are you a stove guy? Cold soak or do no. you go stoveless? 
No stove. I think if you can rehydrate anything and eat it cold, do it. A cold soaker. Phil, that's a huge point deduction. I mean, you might you might be you might be in the twenties right now. Hey, come on. I just think that, you know, why look, here's the thing is it, it's up to you because you gotta carry it, you know? So to each their own. But I mean, for me, it's what can I fit in the smallest bag possible and and go. And I just don't see any reason to be carrying around fuel and you know rocket stoves and and whatever other contraptions i see people using all kinds of different stuff out there and it's just like you know you're wasting all this time you know learning how to use this thing and, and figuring it out and it's like there's always somebody playing around with it and it's it's not working correctly and then they're carrying all the components for it and it's like you can go to the dollar general and get a piece of tupperware that you can literally jam ramen noodles into and dump water on and you're ready to go and you're done before everybody else. I mean, they're still playing around making tea and all kinds of other stuff. I just don't, I don't enjoy that aspect of it. I think it's, you know, I don't want to call it stupid because I know a lot of people enjoy it, but, you know, I don't want to see biased or like, you know, rain on anybody's hiking experience, but I just don't think that there is any reason that you can't just dump water in a container and eat. All right. Cold night. You don't need a hot meal. You can just no. cold soak. Okay. All right. It gives us a little insight into your state of mind. I appreciate that. Right. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? What does a peak bagger say about this? Oh, it's above. And anybody that says that it's not has never been above the tree line. Good answer. No point, I mean, point blank. That's all there is to it. And if you can't remember the first time that you broke a tree line, you know, I mean, you're lying if you say you don't. I mean, there's nothing... I, I don't there's only a few things I think in life that are comparable to like that first time that you get above the trees and you're actually exposed like that and you can just yeah I don't you know it's one of those things that there's just no verbiage for it I guess there's just no way to actually articulate something like that yeah it's above and if your answer is below you've never been above the tree line all right and question number seven what's more important pack weight or luxury items but pack weight for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, and I mean, I don't even really know what you mean by luxury items or what I mean, luxury items to some people are, you know, I think that's just kind of like a matter of perspective. I, you know, some people consider some things to be a luxury. I, I don't know. If I don't need it, I don't carry it. All right. So let me, I have to do some math here, Phil. I got I to gotta put you through the, uh, your answers to the John freaking Muir algorithm. So All right. I, I do some math. I got to carry I'm excited too. for this, actually. Do we get a yeah. drum roll? <laughs> Go ahead. Drum roll. <laughs> drum, drum roll away. Uh, carry the two. Got to divide by pi. We're going to multiply that by uh, root three. And we're going to adjust for the atmospheric pressure from the top of Mount Washington, which is uh, right. quite quite a trip. And you know what? 37. 37. Oh, okay. I like 37. It's in the 30s and it's prime. So, I, I mean, that's, that's a good number. Is that average, I guess? No, I don't have an. I don't. I don't have have an average. Some people are are you know they get in the sixties, seventies. I mean they're they're fairly sane with some pretty simple stories and others. Right. Where we are. I'm right just now. wondering what the curve is. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the curve. Love it. <laughs> All right. Hey, before we yeah, get I'll take that far, thirty-seven. Right. That's because I eat cold food, isn't it? That that was a big factor. I mean, you were. <laughs> 
you were on track for a 50-ish kind of number until we until we got to the, the cold. Man, food. listen, if you're in your own kitchen at home, I know people that will reach in the fridge with their bare hands and eat something out of a Tupperware container, you know, and they're out carrying a stove around in the woods. That's not crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think this episode, congratulations, Phil. You have already used the word Tupperware. Uh, the most number Four of times, times uh, <laughs> more times than it's ever appeared in the podcast before. So, I mean, you, you right. set record. that might be your trail <laughs> name, Tupperware. Listen, Tupperware and Dollar General, I could probably be sponsored by them, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and I'll tell you, Dollar General, I have a really good story about their socks, too, because people like to make an argument about um, the best pair of socks to wear hiking. And you know what? While we're talking about Tupperware and Dollar General, you know where I get my socks from? And I will die on this hill. I get them from the Dollar General. Is it is it the Dollar General brand? Yeah, that yellow one that they build like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's where I get my socks for hiking. I swear to God. But are the everybody's socks... out there wearing thirty dollars socks? I buy them at the Dollar General. Do the socks have Dollar General on them? A st- yeah, yeah they're Dollar General brand. They're wow. synthetic. Yeah, I'm telling you. And you know what? And I throw them away when I'm done. You might be the general. <laughs> We're talking to the general tonight. Yeah, really. They better <laughs> send me some socks. <laughs> Sponsored by. Yeah, right. it's like NASCAR. <laughs> Got to wear a big old hat and a shirt with Dollar General on it. It'd be good to get. Yeah, right. A big old Marlboro. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, General, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. We'd love to hear about uh, your origin story. Where'd you grow up? What kinds of sports did you play as a kid? And uh, how'd you get involved in peak bagging? What's the attraction there? Well, so, I, I mean, I grew up here in, in central Pennsylvania, uh, you know, and a lot of times people ask about what Pennsylvania is like, and I like to tell them it's flat, but, um, you know, that's not entirely true. We have a lot of hiking here. Um, I've always been outdoors. Uh, we had a cabin when I was growing up, it was up in the Alleghenies. Um, you know, I played baseball and stuff when I was a kid, uh, just as far as like sports went, you know, I wasn't really the, the athletic guy. I mean, I, I'm an athletic person. I didn't play a lot of, of organized sports, you know, as a young adult, I guess you could say, I just spent most of my time outside. I mean, when we had weekends, we were away, we were up in the mountains and it's just always kind of been that way. So, I, I mean, it was always just kind of a, a natural progression you know into the hiking and then the overnight hiking i was really involved in in scouts um you know i just it's all i've always been outside i I just any opportunity that i have to be outside that's exactly where i'm at so you know and pennsylvania is is great i mean the alleghenies um upstate pennsylvania i i mean you want to talk about rural i mean there's there's not a whole lot up there harrisburg right out which is the general area that i'm from is kind of to the south side of the Appalachian corridor. But once you sort of get to the other side of the Appalachian trail, I mean, there's, there's nothing. So it's a great state to grow up in is just as far as, um, you know, really getting into um, just out as an outdoor enthusiast, Um, you know, but to answer your question, you know, I never really, I didn't play a lot of sports, just always been outside. Got it. Any brothers or sisters? I have a, I have a sister. I have a sister, but she's kind of a yuppie. She's like the opposite. She lives down in Philadelphia. 
I find that so interesting that, you know, kids from the same family growing up in the same environment and right. one is an outdoor enthusiast, you know, to the, to the nth level. And the other one is, is, you know, city folk all the way. So it's, right. it's well, I wouldn't really, I, I wouldn't say that she's, she's a city folk or anything like that. I mean, they do, they do hiking, but they, um, they have three really small kids. So actually they do a lot of the, like, so the people that you see with those Osprey backs that have like the canopy on them and like a kid in there, they do that. And I think that really, that is just a whole separate thing that I don't even know if I could do it. I've met a lot of guys who I would argue are carved right out of the rock and could do just about anything, but I'd like to see some of these guys go hiking with three kids. So, because I just think it's in a whole different realm. I, I think that's probably tough, but they were just up in, I mean, they were up in Acadia. Um, so, I mean, she does, she hikes, but you know, okay. it's not really her thing. You're not going to catch her up on top of Mount Washington. No, no. And any, any, you know, when you're, when you're young, you don't always make the best decisions. And if you're young no. and you grow up outdoors, sometimes that leads to some pretty good stories. Any, any good childhood stories of like, Oh my God, I don't know how I survived that. Oh man. I, you know, off the top of my head, like I couldn't really think anything specifically, but I mean, we used to do some pretty harebrained stuff outside you know to really speak to something specifically you, you'd have to give me a minute to come up with something good but yeah i mean like i was a kid growing up in like the late 80s and 90s so it's just like you could do pretty much there's no supervision you know and back then it was just kind of like you just went out and did whatever you wanted to do so yeah i mean there's a lot of times where you would come home and be like man i almost died <laughs> Yeah, I talked to a guy, uh, Phil Tucker, who grew up in the swamps down in, I think it's Mississippi, uh, who was, you know, he had the whole swamp as his, basically his backyard. And he he shot a, a snake with a BB gun uh. and he was going to skin that snake. And he got the snake up onto the, onto the board and realized that the actual, the snake was just knocked unconscious from a ricochet. Oh. He didn't actually shoot it. And so this water moccasin uh, plunged its fangs into his hand. And he had to run home with this snake hanging off his off his his hand. Oh, as a nearest, kid? As a kid, you know, he's like twelve years old. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the nearest hospital is like two hours away. So right. you know, he was he was convinced he was gonna die. And his mom was convinced he was gonna die too, but uh, he, he made it. So no, I mean it's worse than that. You're not gonna die, you're just gonna have a rough couple of days, especially if you take a, a you know a loaded bite. I mean, we have all, all they tell you to do is leave them alone. Just, just leave them alone. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you're a kid, there were certainly plenty of times where we were messing around with snakes, but to be honest with you, I have a, a fear of, I don't want to say a fear of snakes, but I'm like Indiana Jones in that regard. Like I don't want anything to do with them. I don't mess with them. Pennsylvania is loaded with timber rattlesnakes. And when you see them, you just, you leave them alone. I mean, you know, in fact, I do have a story about snakes. I had a dog one time. <clears throat> this was only a couple of years ago, and I was still married at the time. And we were hiking down in White Rocks Acres, which is right outside of Boiling Springs. So anybody that's familiar with the Appalachian Trail, uh, you come through Boiling Springs before you cut across the um, Cumberland Valley in Pennsylvania. And I had a lab that used to point at everything and point at this snake up on the ridgeline and got bit. And I don't think she took a loaded bite, but I had to carry that dog almost two and a half miles back down to the car and then to the vet because she got bit by a rattlesnake. So, yeah, I don't mess around with those things. <laughs> no way. 
and she was a lab. How 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 much did she weigh? Uh 75, 80 pounds, maybe. Oh my gosh. Two and a half miles. That's that's yeah, it did down. Day. And you know, we don't have ridiculous elevation here in Pennsylvania, but I mean, you know, you just don't mess around with them. I just leave them alone. I see them all the time. And and I wonder sometimes because I see people hiking and you know, they're just sticking their hands and feet everywhere you know and they got kids and stuff with them and they have animals with them and they're in places that i know are loaded with those things i mean you're gonna have a bad day you get bit by one i mean you're not gonna die but you're gonna have a rough time it's not gonna be a whole <laughs> lot of fun work. no Ugh. that's the one thing i like about new england you don't have to look where you're putting your hands or your feet ever all right now how do you finance your adventures what do you do what do you do to pay the bills so I've been in the restaurant industry for almost 20 years. Um, back in 2021, at the beginning of the year, in January, I got out of the restaurant industry for about a year, year and a half. Um, I'd been bartending really up until that point. Um, and I just recently, this summer, got back in. I'm not bartending, but um, I am serving, um, you know, because it's it's easy. It's a no-brainer. The industry is dying for people. I mean, it's the only job in the world where you can pick up and totally relocate to another part of the country, which I did, to New Hampshire, and you can have a job within 24 hours making 350 400 bucks a day. <laughs> and it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because a lot of people, like, they look at Instagram and they think because I have all these followers that I'm a wealthy person and I don't work. And that's actually not the case. <laughs> I do go to work, but, you know... Because of what I do, I mean, I work two or three days a week, but, you know, just for quick income to be able to finance a certain type of lifestyle, you know, where I pick up and go and you're buying gear and you're traveling and you're paying for gas and you're doing that kind of thing. I mean, the restaurant industry is a no brainer. Anybody with zero skills can go in and be and and make money. I don't know why people don't want to do it. I don't think people want to work. Yeah. And now you mentioned your, your Instagram account and you mentioned bartending and, and being in the, in the restaurant business, which would you mind talking about, I, I know from your Instagram page that you, you, you are in recovery. You are. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so you know, I, it seems I would to me working, working in a bar, being a bartender, I mean, that would be pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't go back to that. Yeah. So I, would you mind sharing your story of, of uh, just your journey along that road? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. you know, I can give you kind of the broad strokes about it. And actually, it kind of ties in a lot with like the, the hiking and that type of thing now. Um, and it's actually something that I talk to people uh, pretty frequently. A lot of times I run into people when I'm hiking, actually more often than I thought that I would, that are sober, sober hikers. I mean, it's big. And, you know, just to go back to January of 2021, I had a really rough time during the pandemic where I just mentally was absolutely exhausted. Um, and you just, you, you know, after almost two decades of just being evicted and having cars repossessed and getting DUIs and being in jail and just being absolutely mentally and physically exhausted of, you know, just, I mean, I'm an alcoholic. I don't know how to drink and it permeates and ruins every part of my life. And I got out of that cycle and I had my last drink on January 4th of 2021. And, you know, yeah, I couldn't go back in the restaurant industry, but, but speaking to that and also speaking to hiking, it was, it was, it, there's a really interesting parallel. And I think because I have such a large sober community 
that I engage with because of Instagram and also um, outside of Instagram, this there's, they gravitate towards the outdoors. And, you know, that's something that I really spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, you know, I think part of it is just a change of scenery and part of it is just people doing things that they've never done before. But also when I really thought about it a little bit more in depth, like all of the things that I like about hiking, about gear, are skill sets that people in recovery already have because you've spent years, um, you know, being totally self-reliant, totally resourceful, trying to get high every day, trying to get drunk every day, trying to pay bills, trying to do all of these different things while also maintaining a relationship with alcohol and substance abuse. Um, you already have this skill set that is totally applicable to being able to, you know, be out in the backcountry and rely on yourself. So there's like this parallel between the two. And I think that it's it's why it, it's so attractive to me to have gotten back into it. And also why it's so attractive to other people that are new into recovery that maybe weren't into that type of thing before, because it's now how far can I push myself physically? How far can I push myself mentally? Like how much can I know about gear and how reliant on, you know, it's just this self-reliance. Like, and it, it's totally just this resilience that I think that people develop over years and years and years of just totally abusing their bodies for all of the wrong reasons that they then take it over into something that they can channel into that is more positive, physically positive, mentally positive. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I am sober and, and I run I, the sober hiking community is huge. I mean, there are a ton of us out there and, and you run into them all the time. So, yeah. Hey, I want to congratulate you on two years of sobriety. That, that just came up, right? So nice job. Yeah. Two years. Yep. Yep. Now, um, when you decided to get sober, I mean, had you hit rock bottom? Was January 4th a particularly bad day or January 3rd a particularly bad day? Or Yeah, well, I mean, I've been thinking about it for a while up until that point. I mean, I've been in and out of treatment, I don't, if I think about it, you know, close to, well, in, in recent history, uh, twice. But in my 20s, I was in and out of detox and treatment several times i mean now that, that was a rough decade but you know I, I think because as a result of the pandemic there was just a lot of nothing was open there was nowhere to go there was nothing to do and if if people weren't spending time outside i just think that people that really have a problem with alcohol and substance abuse uh really went through it just being stuck at home mm -hmm. you know uh you know, depending on the type of programs that they were working, I think a lot of people went through relapses and, and that type of thing. Like it was just it was rough. It was just a really rough time. I had had enough. It's really what it boils down to. Like I I I would have rather put a gun in my mouth than take another drink is really what it came down to. And I mean, and I really thought about it um, for a couple of weeks up to that point. And I, I had a really good um, recovery center that kind of kept in contact with me and was like, Hey, you know, maybe today, today's the day. Like we have a bed. Like if you're thinking about it, like you can come in and it was, and it didn't take a whole lot before I was like, you know what? I, I think it's time. I, I'm convinced honestly that if I would have continued on that trajectory, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. I don't think, mm -hmm. but you know, it's hard to say I, I'd yeah. be in rough shape if we were.
All right. Well, congratulations on two years of sobriety. Again, that is impressive. I'm glad it's going well. And we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and hear about uh, some of your adventures, peak bagging. We're going to talk about uh, New England and the Adirondacks and New Hampshire and uh, hear, hear from our sponsors here and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Phil Perry, also known maybe as the general or Tupperware. I don't know. I don't know. Uh-huh. Those, those might stick by the end of the episode. Yeah, and, I, I like them. They were yeah. bringing to them, I guess. I'm really tickled about, you know, the, the huge big gear bin full of cold mashed potatoes out there on the trail with you. Yeah, right. The the Idahoan potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you carried if you carried a lab, a 75 pound lab. You know, two and a half miles after a snake bite. I mean, it's not no big deal to carry a, a big bin of mashed potatoes. 
Yeah, I could just rope it right on. Like, I don't even need any lumbar support. I could just wear that as a bag. That's right. And, and if you eat enough and you eat fast right. enough, you could actually sleep under it then too. Yeah, probably. I, <laughs> I think that's how Sherpas do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Phil, you spent a lot of time in the American Northeast bagging peaks. Now, right. I have here on the outline, I've got the something called the New Hampshire 48, the Adirondack 46, and the New England 67. Right. So imagine those all refer to peaks, but for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with peak bagging in the Northeast, explain to us what what are those? Okay, well, you know, actually, and and anybody that's through hiked the Appalachian Trail um, may actually be familiar with them and not even realize that they are. Um, but any for anybody that's not familiar with the Appalachians, um, essentially there are groups of peaks. There are different geological formations. The Adirondacks is actually different. That's not the Appalachians of uh, mountains that are over 4,000 feet. Um, and some of them are as high as, you know, five and a half thousand. Mount Washington is 6,288. It's not the highest one on the East Coast, which most people, a lot of people think that it is. Um, it's considered an ultra summit and it has an exposed summit. Um, but I don't even think it's actually in the top 10. So basically, you work your way through these lists. So, for instance, the New Hampshire 48, there are 48 peaks um, that are on the list. And you knock them down one at a time. And that, that's essentially all that it is. The New England 67 is a combination of the 48 peaks in New Hampshire, uh, the five peaks in Vermont, and the 14 peaks in Maine. And then there are 46 of them over in the Adirondacks. Um, they're the highest peaks north of the Mason-Dixon line. Um, and there are other 4,000 foot mountains, but they have to have a very specific topographical prominence from, you know, say like a sister peak or a shoulder. Um, it's different, I think, in the Adirondacks than it is in New England, the AMC, and somebody will probably fact check me on this, but I think there has to be a difference of 200 feet in topographical prominence between the saddle and the two peaks. I think I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So, I mean, and you get the list and you work your way through it and there's different combinations to do it, but essentially you're just working your way through and, and that's it. I mean, that's the list. Now people try to do them in a single season. People try to do them, you know, in the winter, people try to do each one once every month of the year, which they call a grid. Um, so, you know, there's different combinations where you can kind of do the same hikes, different ways, different routes in the same area and kind of, you know, you could spend a lifetime doing it, really. But that's essentially what it boils down to. And going back to um, the Appalachian, uh, people who have done the, the Appalachian Trail, they might actually be familiar with a lot of them because you cross over some of them um, <clears throat> when you move through Vermont all the way up to Katahdin. Katahdin is on the list. Katahdin and Baxter Peak are two of the New England 67 on the 67 list, uh, two of the peaks in Maine where you end and you cross over the presidential range on the AT, uh, the Willie range, Franconia, the Kinsman. I think you hit all five. You, yeah, you definitely hit all five of them in Vermont. And I think you hit all of them in the Mahusics too, uh, in Maine, when you cross from New Hampshire into Maine, New Hampshire is the only one that you don't cross over top of all of them on the Appalachian trail. Cause there's 48 of them. So, but that's essentially Bill, what it is. Bill, I, I just want to stop you here for a second because for, for our listeners, 
who are, they're not they're not watching. They're not watching this on YouTube. They have no idea what what they're missing here. I just have you know that that Phil is not referring to any kind of resource material. He's not he's not looking at notes. He's not he doesn't have a computer up where he's he's got all this information. He is rattling all of this off off of the top of his head. Oh yeah, right. I mean, I could. <clears throat> Yeah, I could go at length. I could give you <laughs> peaks, sprouts, what crosses over top of them. I mean, some of them are multiple trails. I spent a lot of time up there. I mean, I lived up there the last almost six months. So, I mean, as far as New Hampshire goes, there there are certainly people up there that are, that are absolute legends, and and they know it better than I do. But you know, you'd be hard pressed to find too many people that are as familiar with it as some of them. But yeah, for, I know it well. Yeah, you're like a peak bagging savant. <laughs> well, maybe just in New England. I mean, don't ask me about Colorado or anything like that because I I couldn't tell you. So I don't want to I I don't want to put that feather in my hat. Okay, couple of follow up questions because we we covered a lot of ground right there. Uh, yeah, one right. Of the you brought up was very interesting. Is that Mount Washington? Mount Washington's only what sixty two hundred? You say sixty two hundred? Yeah, six thousand two hundred eighty eight. Yeah. And so for us people here on the West Coast who are close to the Sierras and the, the Pacific Crest Trail, I mean, 6,200 feet does not sound yeah, okay. like we're, a let's, huge Let's do mountain. this. We'll have this conversation. Go ahead. So my, my question is, I know, I know that some of the top wind speeds and some of the coldest temperatures are recorded at Mount Washington. And so- yeah. Period. If any, the highest, sorry, I stand corrected. Savant, you may, you may correct me. Uh, but for anybody here on the West coast who's thinking, you know, 6,200 feet, come on. That's, that's right. Not, yeah, I know. I, it, I hear it, it all it, the time. It, I mean, it, it, it just knowing what I know about Mount Washington and the temperatures recorded there. I mean, that it's, it, it's uh, pretty extreme. Right. Well, and listen, and here's the thing. And look, this is like an, I, it's an age old, debate between people out west with their 14ers and people that live in new england and you know what's tougher and i'm going to tell you hands down if you can hike in new england if if you can do the elevation gains if you can do uh, you know just the exposure up there if you can do the weather up there you can hike anywhere in this hemisphere full stop you know and i get it like you guys have some big peaks up there you know, out West, I mean, Wyoming and Colorado and, you know, even out in California, you know, you don't have to explain that to me. You don't, but he, I, I just, I, I've met some of the be- the toughest hikers in America in new England, hands down. I, I just, you know, I would be hard pressed to find hiking that is comparable anywhere else, probably on the continent. And I mean, you can ask people that have been everywhere. I mean, the, the conditions are worse. It's, uh, you know, we, we can go down through a checklist of things that you that you want to debate East Coast versus West Coast if you want to. But hey, I'm not spoiling for a fight. I agree with you. I, I, I say <laughs> that, uh, you know what, the, the Mount Washington, it's a record holder. I mean, how can you argue? It is. It's tough. Yeah, it, it's gnarly up there. I mean, listen, I was up there two days ago and the summit forecast. I mean, they said. Um, you know, 45, 50 mile per hour sustained winds, which is pretty typical for up there. Um, you know, but the gusts had to be, you know, it could be 70, 75 miles per hour. I mean, it, it's insane. It, it's a total whiteout. The weather, they have a saying up in the White Mountains, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. Um, w- what happens is, is you have a couple different weather patterns that move across the United States 
um, basically unobstructed, United States and Canada, um, because there's nothing in the interior of the United States. And these weather patterns smack into the White Mountains. And it's like the first barrier that they have for thousands of miles. And the nexus to that is kind of like the presidential range, which is the range that Mount Washington is in. So it creates this just kind of like recipe for some really disastrous weather sometimes. Um, I was up on Franconia, actually, in Franconia Ridge, which is where Lafayette is. And again, anybody that's like the Appalachian, you crossed over Lafayette, um, you know, in New Hampshire. It's the highest mountain outside of the presidential range. It's five, It's close to 5,200 feet. It might be a little bit more than that. Um, and this was in the end of July. And I walked through a snow squall at elevation. And it's, I don't know, 40, 40 degrees, 45 degrees where you're walking. The snow is not accumulating, but it's snowing in July. So we get kind of the same weather that, you definitely get it over on the we on the west coast with much higher elevations um you know so it, it's kind of just this like mini version of like really big mountains like that people think of when they when they're thinking of big mountains and you know it's not something that people think about it's actually i think it takes a lot of people by surprise just because the white mountains are are somewhat accessible i want to say there are some very easy or i would say very short day hikes that you can do to get to some pretty unreasonable altitude that anybody can drive up from like boston or new york or wherever you know and they're used to hiking rail trails you know on the weekends and now all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation where there's like ice in you know the end of june so it does i mean it offers some pretty wild weather uh mount washington especially i mean i post videos about it all the time i mean i i have some pretty gnarly videos of just being up there so yeah it is it it can be it's rough it's it's tough hiking now you you said you were just up there a few days ago or a few weeks mm -hmm. ago just the day before yesterday and how were the conditions uh, I mean, it was like 50 mile an hour sustained winds. I mean, the gusts were probably over 70. Uh, you know, I don't know what the wind chill was. I mean, it had to be down around 10 degrees or less. I mean, it was it was cold. Mm -hmm. The thing about up there, though, is that, you know, you hike it in the summer and, you know, you can kind of see where you're going. It's, it's a lot of like ice fields, that kind of thing. The rime ice builds up. Um, when the condensate there's condensation, the humidity actually raises a little bit and you get condensation and it looks like snow, but it's just ice. I mean, it, it's literally like I tell people it's like hot. I don't know if anybody's a Star Wars fan, but it's like return or the Empire Strikes Back at the beginning when they're just on the ice planet. I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like a totally different planet. It, it was cold up there. The only I only passed two other hikers. Um yeah, I only passed two other hikers, and I was maybe on the summit ten minutes before I was like, "I got a, bo I, I got a boogie." <laughs> nice. Now let's go back to the uh, the the New Hampshire forty eight, the Adirondack forty six, New England sixty seven. Some people, I mean, you, you went through a lot of time spans. You know, some people try and hike it in a season. Sometimes they they try right. and do all of them each month, uh, called gridding. 
you know, what, what is your time frame? I imagine some people even try and do this, you know, over there, this is a lifetime goal. They want to, they want to hike all 48 or all 67, but what, what is your, what is your time frame? Well, I mean, I did the Vermont five in a week. That was actually pretty pedestrian. Um, yeah, you know, the only one, the, the only one that I thought was really tough was Mansfield. And that's only because it was the highest one in Vermont, but, you know, they were pretty easy day hikes. Uh, New, New Hampshire took me a while, although for a lot of that, I was commuting from Pennsylvania before I actually lived up there. I did that in less than a year, uh, you know, and I mean, there's people up there that do it in, you know, they want to do it in one winter season. So they do it in less than three months. You know, you, there's some that you can kind of string together and then there's some that it's like you just got to kind of go for it. And it's it's a 17 mile day if you just want to get one. And all it is is a pile of rocks at the top that denotes the summit. So some of them you have to put a little bit of, of time and effort to actually grab all of them. So that could take a while. Maine, I, I haven't finished. I've done some hiking in the Mahoosics, but I always kind of had this idea in my head that I would do Katahdin last for the New England 67. But, like, I always have this idea with the Appalachian Trail on the back burner. And, you know, every year it comes up. And then every year I spend a couple weeks thinking about it. And then every year it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put that kind of time together to be able to actually do it. So, you know, Katahdin has always just kind of been like, I don't really want to touch it yet because I'm not really sure where I'm kind of going with, you know, some other ideas. So I might not actually finish it. Like, I think I'm going to finish doing all of them in Maine with the exception of going that far north. And I'm just going to kind of leave that because I I know in my head that at some point I'm just going to pull the trigger and just do the whole 2,200 miles and, and just kind of say, fuck it, let's do it. You know, and I kind of just want to leave that alone up there. You know, like, I don't want it to be touched. I don't want to do it two times. I feel like I could just wrap everything up and just hit that that one time and it will be more special to me than if I just kind of climb up there to finish 67 peaks. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't think this it's as celebratory. So I, I've, I, I'm kind of thinking I'm going to leave that one alone. Bill, I got some news for you. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of through hikers on this podcast. A lot of people who have walked a lot of miles yeah, we right. talk about, you know, what, you know, how, how did they end up on the trail? How did, how did they end up being a through hiker? Someone who wanted to hike 2,200 miles or 2,600 right. miles. And, you know, it always starts with an idea. You know, they heard about the trail. They're familiar with the trail. Right. They read a book or saw a movie about the trail and it just kind of festers. It festers yep. in their mind for years. Sometimes it's a year and a half. Sometimes it's, it's, right. you know, I've talked to people that it was, it was 15, 20 years and it, it, they just can't get away from it. They always, they always return to it in their mind. They're thinking about it. And guess what? They end up doing it. it, it at some yeah. point, it just becomes too much. And they say, I I, I have to address this. I have right. to see if I can do it. And it just yeah. kind of looms over top of everything because like I'm even now talking about like I could complete this list that I've been working on for a while, but I kind of don't want to because it's also the, the northern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. And I know that at some point I'm going to do it. But I feel like the universe kind of has a way of like throwing you that opportunity when the timing is the most right. So, you know, I'm not really, you know, I, I couldn't really assign like a time frame to it, but it, it'll happen. There's no doubt about it. 
you know, and it's just like, especially when, when you're as an, an avid hiker, but you're right. You have a lot of people that are just like, screw it. I'm going to go to REI and I'm going to get this stuff and I'm going to figure it out on my way. I run into people like that all the time. Uh, you know, where I was working up in, in New Hampshire, uh, people actually, when they would come down off the Kinsman and cross Route 93 to go up uh, Liberty Springs Trail up onto Franconia, which is where the Appalachian Trail crosses over Route 93 and then goes into part of the Pemi Loop. Um, you see people walking by all the time. I mean, I probably saw just in the time that I was up there, I, I'd say six or seven hundred hikers. And, and those are just the ones that came into town. Um, there was a hostel there and that kind of thing. And when you I I like to go out of my way to talk to them because I think it's a really great opportunity to learn about gear. I think it's a really great opportunity just to kind of hear stories about different places that people have been. And, you know, as a result, you hear people say all the time, like, you know, seven months ago I was in my apartment and I never even heard of any of this before. And like you said, like they saw it in a publication somewhere or they picked up a magazine at the grocery store. Or they just did some, you know, thoughtless thing, you know, that all of a sudden put this bug in their ear and it's like it it does it just sits there and then you know by the time they get out there they spend a couple weeks planning and then three or four months later they're coming through new hampshire and they're you know talking to some dude out on the sidewalk you know about how you know they're almost done i mean when you get to new hampshire i mean you're getting to one of the toughest portions of the trail but you're also getting to that point where like you really i mean you have a long way to go but in the grand scheme of things you've walked I don't know, 1900 miles at that point. So like you're getting there, like you're almost at the end. So it's like celebratory and, and it is, it's really cool to share with people, but you're absolutely right. It does. It gets in there and it doesn't go away. Like, I mean, you just wind up having to do it. Yeah. And I, I also find with, with through hikers and I imagine with, with a list, like, you know, 48 peaks or 46 peaks or 67 peaks, I mean, there is a there's a lot that goes into the planning of that. There's there there yeah. are lists and there's crossing off of things. And I have to imagine that um, there is a certain personality that is well suited to that. And that's a like an, a, an obsessive, addictive personality. That that uh, is what it is. Yep. You're just you're just drawn to it, and you you feel the need. I mean, if you're going to complete yep. sixty seven peaks, I mean, you've got to have some some persistence, which involves it's some the list. obsessiveness, right? Yep. It's, it is obsessive. Like you see it and you get addicted to it. And then you start looking at how other people are doing it. They're like, Oh yeah, well you got it all done. Now do one every month of the entire year so that you get a whole grid. And then they're, and then they, you know, pull something else out of their hat where they're like, okay, now you got to do them all in a winter season. It is, it's absolutely addictive. 100%. And I mean, there is a lot of planning and that type of thing that goes into it. Like there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's helpful in your situation. I mean, you you have an addictive personality, right? You had a yeah, relationship sure. with with alcohol, and right. uh, is this helpful? Being able to devote your time and energy and your obsessiveness yeah. and put it channel it into this this uh, format. Yeah, it's just like manic energy. Like I'm the kind of guy that's just like I think of something and I do it. I just do it, and it gives me an outlet. You know, that's something that's healthy, something that's positive i mean in some ways maybe it's not like totally healthy i don't know but you know but it, it is definitely an outlet where you can just be like okay this is something where it's 
you know, I'm not drinking myself to death. I can just say, I'm going to do this and then just go like, and, and I'm one of those guys. It's just like, I think of something and I do it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and working on those peaks is perfect for that Yeah, no. because there is a lot of logistics to it, but also it's kind of like, you can just, I mean, there's, I mean, I've done some of them a dozen times, 13 times, you know, you just think about it. Like I'll sometimes be sitting on my couch when I'm living up there and be eating lunch and be like, screw it. I'm going to do Lafayette today, I think. And then, you know, any normal person is like, well, but it's going to be dark soon. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I have a headlamp. Like I'm just doing it, <laughs> you know, and then I get great pictures of the sunset and Franconia notch like, it, you know, but it is, it's just like, you can channel that manic energy. And it, 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 for me, it's, it's always, it, it is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is this typically a solo pursuit or do you have a partner or some friends that you do this with? I do. I mean, I have a lot of friends up there. Um, it's difficult getting people from Pennsylvania to go up there and hike, but I mean, the hiking community up there is, is huge. Uh, I would say half of the people that you talk to up there preface every conversation with, well, when I did the Appalachian trail, so it's like, you know, they, they hike. I mean, you, you run into people all the time and when you're hiking, um, you know, you run into the same people over and over and over again. You know, you run into them here and there. I get people that recognize me from social media and vice versa. I'm like, oh, hey, I thought like your your pictures that you take pop up in my algorithm all the time. We follow each other. So, yeah, there's always there's always people to hike with if you want to. But, you know, I do a lot of kind of a solo thing. I I like to just go and then not really have to worry about what somebody else is doing some of the time. I'm sure you understand that kind of in a way mm-hmm. where, you know, sometimes hiking with other people is a pain in the ass, <laughs> especially when it's like the, like if it's the first time, like you start connecting with people and, you know, they're like, Oh, Hey, I'll go. And, you know, I don't really like, I'm never in a hurry to get anywhere necessarily, but man, like sometimes once you're out in the back country, like you're stuck with that person the rest of the day. Or longer. So, you know, that could go either way sometimes. So, you know, a lot of times I, I, I prefer to do stuff by myself. That's right. Hey, Phil, are you familiar with the different types of fun? You know, type one fun, type two fun, etc. Mm, sort of. So type one fun is you're having fun when it happens, but you really don't talk about it a whole lot afterwards. Type two fun is you are absolutely not having fun while it's happening. But man, it is a good story that you tell over and over again. Oh, I don't know. Can't you be both? You, you could, you could. I'm not sure which type that is, but uh, the, the type two I, fun is like, I, I barely, I barely survived, but uh, I, I, I like telling this story. No, well, you know, I think actually that just depends on the situation because I think there's some instances where it's <laughs> where you leave and you're like, whoa, like we're never going to talk about that again. And then there's other times where it was just a blast because everything went according to plan and y- you do talk about it but afterwards. <laughs> but I, you know what? Sometimes there, you get into some sticky situations and you don't talk about it for a little while, but then like after a while, it's safe to talk about like, you know, hey, you remember when we almost died? <laughs> so yeah, do I don't have, know. Do you have any of those stories you want to share? Uh, wh- oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. So one of the two years ago, one of the first times that I I was up in, eh, I want to say it was two years ago, maybe two summers ago. 
Yeah, I got caught in a really, really bad storm up on top of Franconia. Actually, this happened two different times, like thunder, lightning, and I couldn't see like whiteout situation. And this was before I was really super familiar with um, with the White Mountains actually in general. And th this is a story I can think of up off the top of my head. And I had actually wandered down over the back side of um, Franconia Ridge down into the Pemi Wilderness. And at the time, I wasn't really able to tell where I was at based on other peaks that I was looking at because I hadn't been on top of all of them yet. So that was a little bit worrisome, but it actually worked itself out. Um, there was another time I fell real bad, but that worked itself out too. So yeah, those are two I can think off the top of my head for sure. Okay. Hey, what is the next big adventure for Phil? Next big adventure. I, you know, I keep saying like, I don't want to <laughs> these lists. But I think this summer I'm going to spend a lot of time up in the Adirondacks. Like, I, I want to hammer those out. I want to do the Great Range Traverse. Actually, you know, and the, and the Catskills, a lot of people overlook that in New York because those mountains aren't that big. But, uh, well, there are two, two 4,000 footers, I think, in the Catskills. But I think I'm going to work my way through some of them. They're actually, they're not ridiculous to drive over the Adirondacks from New Hampshire, um, depending where I'll be at for the majority of this summer. But also the Adirondacks is a quick five and a half hour drive from Pennsylvania. So that might actually be a good fit. So I think I'm going to try to work my way through those definitely uh, this summer. So that's something that I've been kind of like planning out a little bit logistically. Um, you know, the, the longer you're doing it, the easier maps are to read. So <laughs> I was never much of a map reader before, but I, I think you really got to develop a skill for actually being able to figure out what stuff looks like re in real time topographically and it makes it easier to plan stuff. So yeah, I think Lake Placid, that's, that's the next stop. Okay. Now I know that the Northeast is a big place, a lot of mountains, a lot of people out there doing their thing. Uh, but I, I'm going to ask the question anyway, because I've had a number of people on the podcast that have spent a lot of time in the Northeast and are working their way through the grid and, and uh, doing, doing a lot of peak bagging. Uh, the ones that come to mind right off the top of my head, Jason Kanash, J.M. Kanash on his uh, social media. I don't know if you're. I don't know if I follow him or not. Is he in the Adirondacks or in New Hampshire? Oh, he's gonna get mad at me. I think I think he's in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm gonna have to look because that kind of rings a bell, but I don't know him personally. Okay, he was also savant-like in his uh, in his talk with me. He I called I called him the professor because he just he seemed to know everything. Jason Kanash. Yeah, K I N O S H. J M Kanosh. Oh, is there a little underscore in between the two? Could be, yes. I think we are friends on Instagram, maybe, okay. but I do not know him personally. No. Okay. And he's got a buddy that I interviewed him with, Mike Kucharski with a K. That Kucharski. one I don't know. Yeah, I think his Instagram handle is uh me. How are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. Because okay. the hikers, I, I'm pretty careful to vet uh when people follow me. And if they're hikers and they're doing the same things I'm doing, I always follow them back. Yeah. And then there's another guy, I, I forget his full name, but his, I think his Instagram handle is Niels Simple Life. Niels. That's Simple familiar, Life. but I don't know him personally either. Okay. Yeah. People, people are doing a lot of great things out there in the, in the Northeastern United States. So, you know, I think he's from New Hampshire, actually, now that you say that. Well, see, now I'm going to have to go through and look at, at some of the people I that I follow. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, uh, Tupperware, you know where we are right now? What's that? We're at the end. You're going to ask me. 
what you're going to give me that the rundown question the gear oh the advice the pro tip insight of the week that's right phil it's time for you to share some outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better what what piece of advice do you have for them you know what i i could this is there's only one piece of advice that i would give anybody regardless of the time of the year if you're thinking about coming up to new england to hike and it's really simple and it could be you know it's whatever your version of gear is that you carry but be prepared to spend the night 100 percent. uh you know there was just a young lady a couple weeks ago that uh they had to i mean they found her up on top of lafayette she was away from where she thought she was going to be um you know according to some different sources um that were sort of there that were in uh you know pemi search and rescue and that type of thing she was a little bit un underprepared um i don't like to be quick to judge what happens you, you know i mean we've all done things uh you know that could have worked out in a different way or been in situations that could have been bad so i'm not here to judge but i i would tell somebody 100 percent, be prepared to spend the night I mean, there's so many times where you hear about people that, you know, just from a result of exposure and just sort of a lack of understanding of the situation that they're in, they would be alive, you know, if they could have just like right. <laughs> held on until somebody could have found them. So, yeah, yeah, just prepare, prepare, prepare. Yeah, always be ready. Tragic story. Very tragic story. There's also been a couple and, of stories. And that's out, just the one that I can think year. off the top. What's that? So there's also been a couple of, of tragic stories out west here. Uh oh, yeah. Mount Baldy, Mount San Antonio, uh, out here in Southern California. Mount Baldy was people. just today I saw on the news. Yeah, it had, that had guy is missing. Yeah. Got one but I missing. think they think there's some foul play involved in that. There was somebody else who uh maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, also uh fell off the top of Mount Baldy. It's icy conditions up there. We've just had storms rumble through. And if you don't have the right footwear and you take a misstep, right. You, you, it's it's tragic yeah that's it it's curtains and i mean it, it's so easy you're always one compound fracture away from being stuck somewhere you know and then and that can happen to anybody it doesn't matter about skill set it doesn't matter you know how much time you spend out hiking it doesn't matter you know how seasoned you are you could break your ankle you could fall you could do whatever and then it comes down to like preparation and anybody you know, whether you've been hiking a week or 10 years should be able to very easily come up with a, with a rundown of stuff that they should have with them to be able to spend the night. I mean, it, it's just, it's a no brainer, especially in places where the weather conditions can change like that, you know, and just like, you know, there was another guy um, just a couple of weeks ago too, that, that I think it was also on Lafayette that that passed away up there as a result of exposure. And I'm telling you, you do not want to die from hypothermia. I, I just, I, I think I would rather burn to death. It, it just does not seem like it is, a, it is a good way to go and you can prevent it. So those belt, those both sound like bad options, Phil. Yeah. I don't want either one of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Phil. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Phil, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Um, well, they can follow me at Phil underscore Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. On Instagram? Um, and that's, just Instagram? Yeah, that's my Instagram handle. I don't really use Facebook. I, you know, I didn't really know anything about 
social media really until about like a year and a half ago. So, uh, you know, I, I use Facebook sometimes, but um, I mostly post on there. So my mom knows that I'm still alive. <laughs> Good son. All right. right. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have any comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Phil, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, something, some kind of outdoor uh, adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. Uh, you have any recommendations for us? We call this our Adventure Media Recommendation. Oh, man, you know, uh, that's kind of an on-the-spot question. Yeah, actually, you know what? If you really want, this is something that, to really give people a taste of New England, uh, especially if you're out west or that that type of thing, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say you should follow the Mount Washington Observatory. It's at M-W-O-B-S. They post summit conditions. They post uh, the weather and they post some pretty amazing photos just about every day from the weather station on top of, of Mount Washington. You should follow that. Okay. Good recommendation. We'll check that one out. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, Phil, just one more segment for you called, what have we not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss tonight? I don't know. I feel like I went on at length about just about everything uh, New England related. I, I mean, I could keep going talking about all the merits of hiking in New England if you'd like me to. But I mean, I could do this for probably another 24 hours. So I think we covered pretty much everything. Well, if, it, if you have another 24 hours in you, we might have to break that up into a couple of episodes. Yeah, we could just do a whole series. Like, I mean, you could just come up to New England and we could just broadcast live from like all 48 summits if you want to. Perfect. Doc and Phil from the summit. Yeah, call it. right. That that has a ring to it. I don't know. Yeah. That might be big. <laughs> all right. Hey, that is a wrap from the John Freakamere studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Phil? Um, No. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to see it. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, they're going to watch it. Shout out. Yeah, I, I guess my kids, I, I don't know. That's kind okay. of a weird one. I don't really have anybody to shout out to, I guess. I don't know. Okay. All <laughs> right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you had to carry your 75-pound snake bit dog back down the trail. <laughs> the trail is the trail. Embrace. Yeah, it doesn't. Thank you.